1: Hey folks, this is Jamar Tisby, president of The Witness, a Black Christian Collective, and co-host of the podcast Pass the Mic. Thank you for joining us this week. Tyler Burns is off doing big bangs. And so we have a special guest with us. Although he is not new to the show, he melts the mic every time he comes on. Pastor Aaron James. How you doing, bro? I'm good, brother.
2: I'm good. It's good to be on with you again.
1: Man, I'm a little nervous. Uh I, I'm not a tech dummy. But I recognize my limitations. And so normally, Bo, our producer, or Tyler, they manage like the recording aspect. But today, it's all on me, brother.
2: <laughs> we'll make it. We'll make it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to take ownership of any technical difficulties or whatever happens. I'm sure it's my fault. But conversely, if it goes well, y'all got to give me my props. So I'm I'm, I'm stretching myself even in my old age this old dog can learn new tricks but we'll see how it goes man how, but how how you doing man you're you're down there in the panhandle and y'all had the hurricane michael what what how did that go for y'all
2: man our community was hit basically by the outskirts of the storm but the people to the east of us just got wrecked and it's very similar to the way our our area was hit back in 2004 with hurricane ivan and so um, a lot of efforts and a lot of people actually joining together, giving, serving, being boots on the ground and just helping out. And uh, just in the midst of great tragedy, um, there are really good things coming out of it just in terms of uh, people just showing love and compassion and serving. And so, um, you know, it's, um, it's difficult. But, um, you know, as we've seen many times before in many other places, there's recovery, you know, and yeah. uh, we'll rebuild.
1: Yeah, uh even though as we record this it's it's a couple weeks out from the storm seems like a lot of people have already moved on but the people affected of course are still dealing with you know uh destruction of homes and and property and places of business vehicles uh, lack of power, all of those kinds of things. So we, we remember them. Uh, we don't want to just let it go by just because the news cycle has moved on to something else, but we're glad that you guys were, were spared the brunt of it. Even as we, our hearts are heavy for those who, who were more directly impacted. So thanks for that update, man.
2: Oh, no problem, brother.
1: Well, so we got an important topic today. Uh, we have midterm elections, no, November 2018, coming up, but really it's a perennial topic. And we we want to talk about pastors and politics and the pulpit, uh, but not just in a way that, that pertains to Christian leaders. I think this is a conversation that all Christians need to have. And it's a topic I think about frequently because... There's a problem, and I think part of the problem is I find so few really helpful resources coming from the church in the sense of uh it's not often or in or in nearly enough congregations in my opinion that we can really look to our pastors and church leaders for helpful input. On politics. Either it's hyper-partisan and, and you already know what you're going to get and, and they've sort of aligned Christianity with one particular political party, or it's a completely hands-off approach where politics is assumed to be too divisive and therefore it's not something that Christians should talk about in the church, which I think is a problem because at the end of the day, We participate in the political realm, um, whether through inaction or action, and our ideas about politics are going to be shaped somewhere. So as believers, why shouldn't that be in the church? But you're a pastor, and so I would love, I'm glad we're having this conversation with you because I would love just to hear your perspective on it. And let's just dive right in, man. Should pastors talk about politics from the pulpit? What do you think?
2: Absolutely, we should. The principal declaration of our faith is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yo, you can't get more political than that, right? (laughs) (laughs) We're declaring that our God, our Savior, our Redeemer is the ruler of a government that is supreme over all other governments of the world, that he reigns over all of creation. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That is a political statement. Now, even though we as believers uh, from different nations and different political contexts and situations, we don't all have the same rights and privileges, but if we're speaking specifically within the borders of the United States of America, we have a very unique privilege and responsibility as kingdom citizens, where our voices can be heard and we can push and we can engage in such a way to seek the good of our cities and even of our nation as a whole, right? And so um, we should definitely have robust engagement in the political process as adopted daughters and sons in the family of God, as citizens of the kingdom of God, and as ambassadors for Christ. And what I mean by that is, when we engage in whatever facet of life, but we're speaking specifically of the political realm here, we should bring to bear the principles and the values of God's kingdom to that arena. Why? Because they are redemptive, because there is great care and concern for the marginalized and the oppressed, because we have the opportunity to do good And Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth, meaning that we are a subversive, redemptive community that is supposed to act against corruption. He also said that we are the light of the world, meaning that we are to shine the light of God's word and the gospel into dark places. And so I believe that it is incumbent upon us to engage vigorously in the political process. And as you said earlier, To not engage is a political stance as well. Um, I I don't believe that there is a lot of middle ground here. Um, I think one of the reasons that pastors shy away from it is because when we begin to deal with this issue and genuinely bring to bear the values of God's kingdom, you know what we got to deal with? We got to deal with a lot of idols, right? And so we have to begin to deal with nationalism. We have to begin to wrestle with the very real history of our nation. And so there are so many things sometimes that have to be deconstructed so that we could build something um, or, or seek to build something in a manner that's pleasing to God. A lot of people shy away from it because people will get mad. People will get angry. People will sometimes level Accusations, and I'm speaking all out of personal experience. <laughs> I don't need anybody else's testimony uh, for for this, but it's worth it in the end. It's worth it. Jesus said, "To whom much is given, much is required." We have brothers and sisters who meet and worship under cover of darkness, who are meeting and worshiping against the actual laws of their government, right? And here we are with the measure of freedom that we've been given, and even that sometimes can, can be debated, but that's a different topic, <laughs> maybe. Um, we, have the resp- we have the opportunity for our voices still to be heard and for us to still engage. And to neglect that, to have the opportunity to do good and not do good, um, in my estimation is sinful.
1: Wow, brother, you have given us a lot to unpack there in that statement. Let me go all the way back to the beginning of what you said. You said Jesus Christ is Lord, and put that into context with when Jesus stated it under the regime of the Roman Empire. How is that such a sort of revolutionary statement in that context?
2: Listen, (laughs) it was so revolutionary. It's not simply that the Roman government and the Roman Empire was the world's superpower at the time. It was also in the way in which the Roman Emperor himself was viewed. The Roman Emperor was was viewed by many as deity. Um, there were even uh, messianic type Language, there was messianic language used type language, I'm sorry, used toward the Emperor as far as like being the son of God. And so for even Christ to be declared to be the son of God was a major thing. And here's the the, the, the main idea uh with Christ being declared as Lord in that particular context. It basically said that every other government. Was illegitimate. That Christ's government is the only legitimate government. <laughs> that that the government of Christ reigns supreme, even over the Roman emperor and the Roman Empire. And Christ said so when he was conf- when he was before Pilate, and Pilate basically said, "Don't you know that I have the authority, you know, over you, like a- as to whether you live or die?" And um, you know, this is the Aaron James kind of paraphrase, but. The Lord was basically like, "That's really cute, you know it's, it's, really, <laughs> it's really cute that you think you have authority over. You have no authority over me." And um, that that's what made it so revolutionary. the fact that to be a Roman citizen was to pledge allegiance to Caesar, right mm. and 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 to to make that declaration. And here comes this community of people, both Jew and Gentile, declaring, no, 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 no. Caesar is not Lord. Christ is Lord. That's and, and that was that was major.
1: That is major and it has incredible implications even for us 2,000 years later. And so what what I find strange is for a long time throughout Christian history and especially in in American history, many Christians, particularly white Christians, were basically saying, uh, you know, the church and politics, are separate, which which there's I think a distinction to be made between the church and state, right? And the and the state establishing a church and having requirements for citizenship based on your religious affiliation. That that is a tradition in American politics um, that's been contested. All that stuff, all the ins and outs of it. But but to say that that Christians or pastors cannot and should not talk about politics, I think is 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 very problematic for a couple of reasons. Um, One, you paint yourself into a corner because if you're going to be at all consistent in saying that the church should not talk about politics, then you've automatically prevented yourself from addressing a whole host of issues from sexual ethics to how public education looks to abortion or pro-life or however you want to term it. Uh, All of those Issues and many, many, many more have political dimensions. And so, if you say, well, nobody in the church can talk about politics or that's not appropriate, then guess what? You said a whole lot of other stuff is not appropriate, too. And the tension there is that you still talk about it anyway. So, you're either being a hypocrite or uh, it's not accurate to say that Christians shouldn't talk about politics in church. And I think the second aspect is related, it has to do with the selectivity of what was deemed political and therefore not appropriate to talk about and what was deemed um christian or as part of the gospel and therefore you could talk about it and so traditionally in the US race issues and justice issues have been excluded they've been called too political to talk about from the pulpit meanwhile a whole host of other issues as i just said that was fair game but when it came to challenging the whiteness of american christianity that's when the wall goes up, and you say, "Church and politics never shall the twain meet." So, I mean, what is your take on just how Christians, in our context, have have divided, have put have put up this wall of separation in some cases between church and politics? Is that something you've seen, and and can add any insight on why that might be?
2: Yes, I've definitely seen it, and um, have personally experienced it in a way that in, um, that, has been hurtful, really. This is something that has impact impacted relationships um, for me, my family, for our faith community. It really is a serious issue. One of the things that I've noticed that is difficult to talk about is that we're selective in the way in which we engage political issues because one of the reasons is that we will support policies that continue to give us the advantage and the upper hand um or 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 basically uh protects our privilege <laughs> um which we we're now calling privilege freedom you know people say our freedom is being threatened but in reality if you dig deeper And uh, you look at what's really going on. It's our privilege that's being threatened. You spun it. (laughs) You uh, spun it on them.
1: That's good.
2: Yeah. People have equated privilege with freedom. And it's not true. We have the responsibility as believers to do that which is right. But somewhere along the line, we don't want that to cost us. Right? Right. And so it's like, how do we do good in a way that is constantly advantageous to us in a way that we're always at the center and in a way in which we always maintain control? And uh, I, I, I have to say that there's no way to do that. That as kingdom citizens, we win by losing. So for instance, it may be that, well, no. Let me let me let let me just be clear here. All right, it, it it's not that it may be. The reality of the fact is, if we're talking about the way things were constructed from the beginning, and even as they are currently constituted, in order for us to right certain wrongs, then we have to be willing to lose. Right, and so um. Let's, you, you brought up education, and that's a very important thing. As believers who hold uh, consistently with the Imago Dei and with God's design and uh, his, his purpose and plan for all of creation, we should care deeply about the fact that there are young children and uh, our children, period, who are being educated and there are great disparities sometimes a lot you know depending on where you are especially here in our community there are great disparities between one school system and the next right i mean there and i know you as someone who has worked um a, a great deal at, you know um as as a principal of a charter school uh, uh in education you've seen this firsthand yeah, as well there are great disparities and so There's this line that says, well, this is America, and um, anyone could be anything that they want to be. All you have to do is just work hard enough. All you have to do is just have the determination. And, um, you know, it may be even a little bit of God helps those who helps themselves thrown in there, right? But if we're not honest about the fact that if children are starting at two different Places They're starting at two different starting points, (laughs) and they don't have the same opportunities. There should be something about that that weighs on our hearts as believers, right? In a way that we say something has to be done about this. And if it means that it costs me, if it costs me something, if it costs us something, if we have to sacrifice in order to make this right, we should sacrifice. And I, I don't see lord have mercy even within my own heart this struggle man we struggle with that um being willing to engage in the process in a way that we lose on purpose so that someone else may
0: this episode is brought to you in part by pittsburgh theological seminary pittsburgh theological seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community pts students are preparing for ministry with master of divinity master of arts, doctor of ministry, and certificate programs. Begin your master's or certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu slash admit.
2: Win, or, or maybe we shouldn't even frame it in terms of winning and losing. We should frame it in terms of equity and that which is just and right.
1: Wow, you are hitting all the major chords in this song brother it's 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 music to my ears because i think it's so helpful to the church one of the things that i think uh, we need to explore further is precisely why politics can be so divisive often is so divisive particularly in the congregation. And, and and one of the things I, I think about is, well, how do we bridge that divide? Is it possible, even in the body of Christ? And one of the um, ways that I think we can address it is, is like you said, by focusing on equity and justice, which to me means a focus on what Jesus calls in Matthew 25, the least of these. And so this is really interesting because it's in it, the passage is in the context of, of judgment. This is Jesus Christ coming back with all power as King, Lord on the throne. And he's separating the sheep from the goat, uh, the people on his right hand, the people on his left. And the way he delineates in this passage, those who are blessed and will spend eternity with him in heaven and those who won't, Is how they addressed the needs of the poor, of the hungry, of the naked, of the sick, of the imprisoned. And to me, that is more than just did you give to charity? It's how did you use such power that you had, even as a citizen, to clothe the naked and to feed the hungry and to care for the sick and the imprisoned. And so. To me, what we have to do as we talk about politics from the pulpit or or among Christians is keep the focus on the least of these because Jesus is looking at that so much so that he says, to the extent that you served these folks, you served me. And and on the other hand, to the extent wow. that you did not, you did not do it to the least of, of these, my brothers. You didn't do it to me either. Uh, so I think that passage in the context of God's coming judgment should lay a heavy, heavy, heavy burden on us as believers to think about what it looks like to deploy political power in service of the least of these, our neighbors. And so I'm just wondering, like from a pastoral perspective, how you find common ground amid folks who may be Democrat or Republican, may may lean liberal or conservative can there be common ground or 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 what do you say to to acknowledge that we may have differences but at the end of the day what unites us is stronger than what divides us
2: yeah i believe that if the supremacy of christ and the authority of his word is taken serious, seriously then we can find common ground even um across the political spectrum um we we have been we're in this environment where we're so quick to throw out these titles um, that are derogatory, uh, that make caricatures out of people instead of listening, um, instead of seeking to understand. For instance, and, and I, I got to say this because I know that there may be some who would even listen to this conversation that you and I are having, and they are ready to throw out the the accusation of cultural Marxism or, or Marxism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, I've got a word for that. So, preaching brother, (laughs) say it. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are some who would say, "Well, we don't need government programs to feed the poor. We don't need government programs to uh, clothe the naked. We don't need government programs to care for the sick. That's the church's responsibility." And to that argument, here's the way I'd like to respond. When we read scripture. For instance, in passages like Leviticus 19, the Lord, in instituting the culture of the kingdom, the ideals to which he has called his people to live toward, talks a great deal about caring for the poor, caring for the immigrant, caring for the disabled, Um, the way we are to view um, women. It's very robust and I believe appropriately applicable to how we should even live today. So how is it that there has that we could live with the disconnect between the mandate for the people of God and the policies mm. that we uphold? It is a great inconsistency to me to believe that we are to engage in a particular kind of work and yet in the voting booth we support policies that actually work against that work.
1: Yeah. And, and that I think is the crux of it, right? Like, like up to now we've been talking about, yes, you know, Christians should be talking about politics. Here's why we're participating in this kingdom, uh, this earthly kingdom, all these things. But when you get right down to it, some people are Democrats and some people are Republican and we see the world in vastly different ways. Um, and I think one of the main issues uh, with how Christians view politics is how they view injustice. And I refer to this book probably every other episode, but Michael Emerson and Christian Smith's Divided by Faith do, I think, a great job in a sociological study of defining how white evangelicals view race And therefore, uh, the, the, the sort of related aspect of how they view politics. And you have folks in the majority, not just Christians, but folks in the racial majority who tend to view issues of injustice, whether that's poverty or racism or education, mainly in interpersonal, individualistic terms. That is to say that the problem resides at the individual person level, and not at the systemic institutional level, at least not primarily. And if that's your view, it's going to lead you to some very different political solutions. Um, and, and so, what do we do about that? Like, what do we do if, if we're talking to fellow Christians and we're talking about, you know, problems in underfunding of education or mass incarceration, and there are folks who agree that these are, disagree that these are even problems, or if they are problems, the source is fundamentally different. I mean, what, from a pastoral perspective, would you say when there's a conflict like that?
2: I try to always point our people to the supremacy of Christ and the reality of the government of God and our identity as kingdom citizens and adopted children in the family of God, right, as the redeemed of the Lord. And to also try to give the 30,000-foot the view, if you will, to just kind of pull back to understand that we are to be a subversive, redemptive influence in the earth, beholden to no one but Christ, right? And I think that sometimes the blindness is willing. You know, it's it's you know the the whole deal. Ignorance is bliss, right? Because if I've been, here's the thing: it's not that we want to. We're pushing for any type of agenda that forces people to do that which is right and forces people to do that which is good. This is this is not about um, any type of coercion. This is not about any type of uh, mandatory generosity. The point that I believe is important is that as recipients of the grace of God, people who have received the gift of salvation, people who have been rescued by God based on no merit and no goodness of our own, people who have been brought into a glorious inheritance that we have yet to even experience. The Bible says that that, that that in the ages to come, Christ would show the immeasurable riches of his grace, right? That the way in which we engage the world should reflect that, that wherever the imago Day is being violated, we should have a problem with it. Wherever people are being marginalized and and oppressed, we should have a problem with it. Wherever people aren't receiving um, that which is due to them, based not on um, uh, a system of government, but by God's design and according to God's word, that should grieve us. We should be provoked. So here's the thing. When Jesus ministered to the multitudes. There were a couple of occasions that are recorded where Jesus would say, where Jesus said, the people are hungry, they need to eat, right? Why didn't Jesus say something like this? Why didn't he say, well, you know what, I've given them the spiritual food, like, you know, they they could be all right, you know, Uh, I've given them the bread of heaven, So, you know, they could they could be okay. And if they just have to walk a little bit and, uh, you know, some of them may faint, but it's all right. I've given them the word and I've given them the gospel, they'll be all right. No. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, you give them something to eat. It shows the holistic nature of ministry and it shows God's complete care over all of creation. God cares for our souls and he cares for our bodies and he cares about the systems and the context in which we live and the way we conduct ourselves in them. And so when we begin to understand that, it's it's. It's understanding that I can't hide under the, the cover of individualism. We have to see our part as the redeemed of the Lord, as stewards over all of creation, that, that, that to shield and to insulate ourselves from suffering and pain and corruption is not the way in which God mm. intended for us to live. It's, it's simply not. We are to run toward pain. Run toward hunger, run toward mass incarceration, run toward those children who are not being adequately educated, not because we're hoping to do the ultimate good, but because of our hope in the ultimate good, we can serve fervently Mm. in the here and now. That's what God has called us to do. And I'm telling you, I think, I, I really believe this, Jamar. I believe that we have become comfortable. I believe that we uh, view this thing in terms of not wanting to lose anything that we have. And so we are we are so abundantly blessed and we're so abundantly privileged that when it comes down to do that which is right and suffer loss, we don't see it as um, that which God has rightly called us to do because ultimately our reward is in him. We see that right, as an attack right. on us. <laughs> that's the way this thing is. That's the way this thing has 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 been I, has been portrayed. And I, I try to focus. And I'll on say that, this: man. even
1: the question, should pastors talk about politics from the pulpit, it it it, it it's a very white centric question in a way. At least a white church centric question. Why do I say that? Because from a historical perspective. The black church has not created such a sharp divide between politics and the pulpit or the church and politics. Why? Because our very survival was a political issue. In the context of the United States, many black Christians, especially after the initial generations where, where Africans were being directly transported from places in Africa, when you started to have generation upon generation born In what became the United States, when they learned Christianity, it was under the yoke of slavery. Or subsequent generations, it was under the yoke of Jim Crow, or even more contemporarily, it's under the yoke of continued disfranchisement and uh, marginalization and ongoing racism. So we were in no way going to adopt a religion that didn't speak to the racial issues that we faced. And often those racial issues, there there was state-sanctioned racism, whether that is uh, allowing by law the existence of race-based chattel slavery, or allowing by law the segregation of public accommodations according to race, or whether it's allowing by law the segregation of uh, neighborhoods according to race. This is state-sanctioned racism, and you can think of even more examples, and so our very dignity as image bearers of God had political dimensions insofar as the law and policies and politicians either promoted or got in the way of our basic human rights. Um, So it was never an option in the Black church not to talk about politics because our survival depended on it. So, even the framing of the question, we have to take a step back and look at like where 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 is this conversation even coming from? who is even creating this dichotomy? And so I would encourage folks who want to learn more about how to talk about politics in a in a healthy and vital way to look beyond white Christian traditions, look to the Christian traditions that come out of marginalized communities to inform you about how to talk about politics,
2: right. Yes, absolutely. I guess simply put. The requirement that God has, according to his holy and righteous nature and character, to sum up his law, which is a reflection of who he is, love God and love your neighbor. Mm. Loving my neighbor means seeking the good of those around me, even at cost, even when it costs me something. Yes. And the reality of the fact is this. Whether or not I love my neighbor can be seen, evidence of that, not the entirety, but evidence of that can be seen in that which I support and, 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 and the policies that I get behind. Do I support policies that promote love for my neighbor and care for those around me and the proper stewardship of creation?
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned love of neighbor because that gives us the perfect quote to end on. It comes from Howard Thurman and his wonderful masterpiece of wisdom, the book Jesus and the Disinherited. In that book, Thurman says, every man is potentially every other man's neighbor. Neighborliness is non-spatial. It is qualitative. So every person is potentially every other person's neighbor because neighborliness is non-spatial. It is qualitative, meaning it goes beyond our geographic boundaries. It goes beyond whoever we might find near us or next to us or like us. And it goes to the qualitative aspect of every person being made in the image and likeness of God and therefore deserving dignity, especially as we consider the least of these, and how we can serve those who have the least forms of earthly power. So talk about politics, talk about it from the pulpit, do so in a biblical Christian way as best you possibly can, and it'll lead to conflict, no doubt, but it's constructive conflict that can lead to a genuine peace and hopefully a genuine justice. Lord, speed the day. Thanks for joining us, Pastor Aaron James. We'll see you soon on the next Pass the Mic.